I don't know, man, a Division Three radio network? This is like 1999's media idea waiting to happen here. Yeah, with the with all with, especially with the coaches shows, like the the 2019 way would just be like back to back 24 hour talking head shows yelling about how John Carroll should be ranked ahead of North Central or vice versa in the North Region rankings. I mean, there are people that basically use Twitter for that right now. Well, we just turn it into content, man. And here we are, 2019. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your twice-weekly show about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 259, the one with 11 bids left to go. It's season 13, number 21, the podcast for November 15th, 2019. Thanks you for uh, joining us. Thanks for downloading us. I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. And I'm Keith McMillan, the former player, longtime co-host a lot of stuff at stake this week we mentioned uh, 11 bids left to be handed out six of them automatic five of them at large we'll talk uh, a little bit about all of the uh, automatic bids left to be handed out uh, whether it's the arc or the wiac or you know the other four in between we'll talk about that in uh, just a moment we'll also take a look at what the at large picture looks like Greg Thomas and I did a uh, projected bracket on uh, the website on Thursday morning. Hope you guys have had a chance to take a look at that, digest it, yell at us about it, because we are definitely the people who select the at-large teams. We're not. And uh, it is our fault if you don't get in. It's also it, it, it's also really not. Uh, we're going to take our fair share. No, more than our fair share, I guess, of abuse over the course of the next several days. But uh, you can certainly give us... Uh, your feedback on the Twitters, I know you have already, uh, and Keith and I will talk about that coming up in just a moment as well. Those those five bids are going to be a source of a lot of discussion, especially when you guys get to your um, your mock bracket. But I think, uh, and this is quoting our friend Adam Turr, who's probably quoting me or or at least referencing one of my favorite podcast words. He says, uh, "Fans of clarity." This weekend, a rooting for uh, Wisconsin Whitewater, Loris or Co., uh, Baldwin Wallace, Ithaca, and Bethel. And actually, I'm surprised Bethel's in that mix probably means St. Thomas. Yeah. Because Whitewater and Oshkosh, uh, Oshkosh has an opportunity to win the Pool A bid, knock Whitewater into Pool C, and that would push one of the current at-large teams out because Whitewater has a really strong strength of schedule and results against regionally ranked opponents. Loris and Co., Loris is playing Wartburg, Co. is playing Central in the uh, American Rivers Conference, and that's a bit up for grabs because Central had a midseason loss to Dubuque. So even though they've beaten Wartburg, it's uh, it's not in the bag yet. Central needs to beat Coe this weekend, and Wartburg needs to beat Loris to have a chance at either Pool C or if Central stumbles and Wartburg beats Loris, Wartburg can take the, the Pool A bid. Baldwin Wallace can knock John Carroll out of the mix. Ithaca can knock Cortland out of the mix in the Cortica Jug game. St. Thomas can beat Bethel. That would be three seven and two teams that would knock eight and one teams into the pool of two lost teams. So there's a lot that can happen here in week 11. And I know that was long winded, but it was long winded on purpose because I wanted to catch all of you up on where we stand heading into this weekend. 
I'd like to take this time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is sponsored by our friends at Gotta Have It. That's at uh, gottahabitfanfoams.com, the place where you can find the wall signs, the officially licensed 3D foam fan wall signs of uh, Division Three schools from across the country and uh, maybe get your team involved in this as well. There's a half dozen D3 teams already on the docket. Of course, uh, defending national champ Mary Harden-Baylor, defending national runner-up Mount Union, basically all four of last year's national semifinal teams, uh, including UW-Whitewater, Johns Hopkins, also Lake Forest, also East Texas Baptist. And, uh, you know, these uh, things... Also, not only do they look pretty good, I think uh, this is about the time where you want to be thinking about your holiday shopping as well. Absolutely, and this is a a nice, easy gift for the D3 lover in your life. I don't know if that's the way I wanted to phrase that. The D3 fan is probably the the better way to put it. Um, And as we eliminate teams in the postseason, we should be adding, we should be growing this pool of teams who have got to have it fan foams because... It's a product that is not just supporting us in the podcast that all you listeners love, but it's something that is worthy of uh, your attention and your use in D3 because it's a pretty sweet-looking product. Indeed it is. If you are uh, someone who runs the alumni group for the athletic department or for the football team, you know you can get your school, your program in on this. See what they can do for your school by uh, going to gottahabitfanfoams.com. All right, so we're going to have uh, you know more about the uh, new Mac later. We're going to have more about the ARC to come. Uh, Adam is going to preview the uh, UW-Whitewater at UW-Oshkosh game, and I'm sure he will get us caught up on everything that uh, will be going on there. We're going to talk about the Midwest Conference coming up in a little bit as well. We're going to start with uh, one of the other conferences. We'll start with the Southern Athletic Association, which was confusing. Got a little bit of that clarity. You know, clarity used to be part of the uh, drinking game. Brilliant. And then we stopped using that term for a couple years. But it's right there. It's right on the uh, the, the tip of my tongue today. Um, if, uh, if It's easy if Barry wins. Uh, Barry uh, plays on a Saturday against Austin College. If Barry wins that game, they win the automatic bid no matter what. If Barry and Trinity both win, doesn't matter. Barry still wins the automatic bid. If Trinity wins, Trinity is playing Rhodes, and Barry loses to Austin College, then Trinity will get the automatic bid. And if both Barry and Trinity lose and Birmingham Southern wins, and there's a three-way tie at the top spots at uh, five and two. Mass hysteria! Yeah, check back with us in the event that that happens because uh, th- that will require some more deep diving into the three-way tiebreakers because each of them will have split with each other and that Barry would have this projected loss to Austin. Trinity would have that projected loss to Rhodes and uh, Birmingham Southern would have a real loss to Hendricks. Uh, Rhodes, by the way, is one and nine. So uh, I'm sorry, is one and eight. Maybe they will be one and nine by Saturday at the end of the day. So maybe that's a, an unlikely scenario, but it is at least a mathematically possible one. Uh, Keith, how about the USA South? Yeah, you have a pretty similar situation over in, in this conference where Huntington is on top at 5-1 and one in the conference, and then right behind is Brevard, Averett, and North Carolina Wesley. And so if Huntington wins on Saturday, they're at LaGrange. 
and LaGrange is three and six. If uh, Huntington wins that, it'll clinch the automatic bid, clinch the USA South. And if they don't, you get into a problem scenario because not only do these teams uh, have over overlap where they would all finish or potentially several teams could finish uh, five and two in the conference, but they don't even all play each other. They all play one of the other teams. And so um, it's way too long for us to go through all the possible scenarios. But essentially, um, Huntington's playing the Grange. Brevard's playing Green, Greensboro. Uh, Averett plays Methodist. NC Wesleyan plays Maryville. And so uh, every one of these teams could be 5-2 and two, or somebody in that group could lose. And we could be dealing with a four-way tie, a three-way tie, or a two-way split. So for simplicity's sake, Huntington should just win and get it over with. But if you're a fan of one of the other teams or not a fan of Huntington uh, or just a fan of, of carnage, mass chaos. hysteria, yeah. a lack of clarity in general, then uh, then you can root for chaos in the USA South. But I, I think whoever it is, it's going to be a team that finishes with six or seven wins and goes on the road in the playoffs in round one. That that is true. The one thing we also can tell you is that it won't be Brevard. Brevard is still a provisional member of NCA Division Three. They have only been Division Three members for two seasons, and it will be two more before they can uh, qualify for an automatic bid to the playoffs. You know, obviously, uh, six of these things on the line. We talked on the website on Thursday about the projected bracket. Keith, we worked very hard, uh, Greg and I, in the course of creating this bracket to, to try to get uh, a, a combination where you know, we have, uh, assuming, of course, we had to make some projections, right, uh, as to who was going to win these remaining six automatic bids. And we kind of just went with front runners because, you know, there was reason to believe that front runners might win. I was trying to get a situation where I could send Barry to the West Coast, and I could send Huntington to Mary Harden-Baylor and Linfield to Chapman. Those are all three schools that would have to eventually fly anyway, matched up with other teams that would have to fly, rather than, you know, have the the obvious slash easy slash not very creative possibility of, like, sending Redlands to Mary Harden-Baylor and sending Linfield to Chapman. So tried really hard to make that happen, could not make it happen, because, uh, among other things, we have a lack of teams in the Ohio area. If a uh, if an Ohio uh, runner-up, well, I guess it would only be John Carroll at this point. If John Carroll qualifies for the tournament, that makes our job a little bit easier in terms of bracketing because that's another school in kind of the middle of the country who can take someone like Hanover or someone like Wabash, and they're within 500 miles of each other. Otherwise, we were stuck with trying to say, is there anybody that we can send to Bridgewater? Who's the team from the furthest west that we could send to Bridgewater in the first round? And that ended up being Case Western Reserve. That was the furthest west we could get with that. And after that, it all kind of falls apart. Bracketing these things is A, kind of fun. B, very much a pain in the butt because it is, uh, it's very difficult to stay within all of the NCAA guidelines, still create a bracket that makes some sense. Uh, avoids first round conference rematches and as much as possible avoids second round conference rematches because we were not able to do that with the with a potential Wheaton North Central rematch in the second round and of course we think the committee is probably going to want to for cost purposes set up Chapman and Redlands as a possible rematch in the second round out west this is just 
you know, like I said, it's a it's an interesting exercise. It shows what the possibilities are. Um, it's also imperfect. Yeah, well, I, I think there are a handful of takeaways. One is that it's it's a real big puzzle for uh, for you and on Saturday night going into Sunday for the, the playoff selection committee to piece together because the playoff selection committee will get its 27 automatic bids. It will pick the five at largest. Then it will have 32 teams to match up. And for you, when you guys do this um, exercise, changing out just one team can set a whole off a whole roll of dominoes and change where um, now a team that normally was within this 500 mile radius now isn't. And so you can't match those two teams up. Then you have to find another matchup and it, it, it changes everything else that you have on the board. So it would be kind of cool if there were some way to, to do this like on a touch screen live so you could see, you know, you could drag someone in and, and readers or listeners um, or viewers could see what happens when you put one team in, how it changes the, the rest of the, uh, the pile because it, it's just demonstrative of what it will look like on Sunday when or Saturday night when that selection committee gets together. To walk it back a few steps, the f- most interesting thing before you before you look at Pat and Greg's uh, mock bracket is, of course, to figure out which five teams of the eight to ten pool C teams they projected in. And and for this exercise, it was Wesley, Redlands, Wartburg, North Central, Susquehanna. Yep. And so that gives you some interesting matchups that maybe, um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily see during during the regular season. Some that are kind of like faintly familiar, like a Union Susquehanna, since Susquehanna briefly took a detour into the Liberty League uh, several years back. And uh, there there will be storylines like that. But I think that the thing your eyes go to quickly when you see this bracket is, of course, your favorite team. If you have one, you go find that team. Then you figure out what happens on the West Coast, what happens with the Texas teams. And the way Pat and Greg dealt with that was to send Monmouth to Mary Harden Baylor and Wabash to Redlands, which I think is interesting. And of course, we have the conundrum this year with two Skyac teams probably getting in and both of them hosting in your guys' mock bracket. So there are two games in California, but those teams not playing each other because remember this year, the uh, the emphasis was placed on not playing conference rematches in the first round right if it was strictly save as much money as possible and remember that the the committee is tasked with not matching teams uh for more more than 500 mile radius under 500 miles it's a bus ride over 500 the ncaa will pick up the tab to fly your 58 players and your 10 personnel on the road, you know, they'll try to, they'll try to avoid doing that. And for Ch- Chapman and Redland's sake to not have to play each other again, I think is great. And for, uh, for our sake, you know, just to see a different matchup that you don't get to see normally, I think is, is interesting. So your eyes gravitate directly to that. You gravitate to where your team is. And then you just figure out where, what do we do with the, with the at-large teams? Where did Wesley Redland's, Wartburg, North Central, and Susquehanna go, and do any of those teams play at home? Because just because you go in as an at-large team and didn't win your conference doesn't mean that you automatically go on the road. And vice versa, just because you won your conference doesn't mean you automatically play at home. Just because you went undefeated doesn't mean you automatically play at home. Once those 32 teams are selected, 
then they're all rejudged on that same criteria and the committee tries its best to give the most deserving teams a home game. So it's certainly possible that two teams say Salisbury and Wesley both play at home in round one. Redlands and Chapman, as you guys have projected, can both play at home in round one. Just because a team goes in in Pool C does not mean it has to go on the road. Yep, that's a that's a really good point there for uh, for sure. In the uh, we're gonna I'm just gonna touch on this and move on. But in the event that say uh, Susquehanna doesn't make the field and uh, and uh, and John Carroll does, that would switch a whole bunch of matchups because ideally I would have rather had. Uh, someone like Brockport at Union, I think that would have been a better first-round matchup than than Susquehanna. I needed to put Susquehanna on the road, even though ideally I think they should host if they make the playoffs, um, but I just couldn't make the bracket work. Uh, but if we lift out Susquehanna and replace them with somebody a little further west, such as John Carroll, John Carroll then has the ability to pull over someone like Hanover or maybe even someone like Warburg could move further to the east and play them, that sort of thing. It opens up a lot more possibilities, that's for sure. Sure, and that goes to the point we were making about how this is all one big puzzle. It's not our problem. It's going to be Jim Catanzaro at Al's problem on Saturday night into Sunday, and uh, that's you know part of the fun. That's part of what those guys sign up for, and then we'll get to critique it on Sunday. And usually pretty quickly, we, we, you know, we analyze the bracket Sunday. Everybody has their take on it into Monday. And then by, you know, by Monday or Tuesday, we're just talking about how good these games look. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Pat Cerrone, the head coach at UW Oshkosh. His team facing Whitewater on Saturday with some big things at stake. And Coach, thanks for joining us today. Joining us, I should say, from the stadium. Your guys' offices are uh, off campus in the stadium. Is that right? Yeah. Remember that? We have uh, the Rush Young Football Complex here. So All right. I don't really have an office. Gave that away a long time ago. Just have a, a little desk with a computer on it, and it faces a screen like a classroom. Like a like one of those fancy open office concepts that all the people are pitching right now for their fancy businesses. Yeah. I like to think of it as a classroom. It brings me back to my teaching days. What did uh, you teach? High school. I was a U.S. history teacher at risk. U.S. history and at risk. How, how does any of that apply to what you do now? Is there anything that you learned from teaching oh, God, high school? It's, it's the same. It's the same. It's the exact same. I I coach life and or I teach life and football now, but uh, it's, it's. I think it's really helped me. Uh, I think teaching is the number one thing in coaching, and uh, I think it's really helped me having eight years of being a high school teacher and coach, coming into this and just learning, and uh, just being innovative and in how to get the, get your message across. And I'm not talking motivational stuff. I'm really talking about the uh, X's and O's. And I think that's what separates us is our guys consistently year to year. Just we stay in the system and uh, you get this thing rolling. And, you know, I mean, a year ago we weren't very good. We went six and four, but six and four ain't bad. And uh, a guy emailed me after we went six and four and said uh, 10 years ago that you would have been mayor of the town if you had gone six and four. Now you're now you're disappointed. (laughs) So, you know, that's kind of where we've come. Yeah, that's a really good point. 
So 13 years at Oshkosh, those years for me have kind of flown by. I, I can't imagine what it's been like for you. You've kind of been through now like, you know, you two really big peaks in the uh, Oshkosh football program since then, and now you guys are working on your third. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a while yet, but uh, this was a surprising year for us, really. I mean, it's, it's kind of fun to look at the statistics in the conference, and <laughs> we don't have many guys up there. But uh, we're in this position. It's just been uh, really a treat. I told the team after the Platteville win, I said, we, we won a lot of big games, but taking 45 guys that have never been there before out of 60 and beating them in that situation was pretty special. So I can't tell you that I'm disappointed in how this year went. I think we did some great things, winning on the road at Stout, winning on the road at Platteville, and just uh, you know, getting better every week, to be quite honest with you. How does this all build into what you guys have coming up this weekend? An opportunity to clinch a sh- uh, share of the conference title and then get the conference's automatic bid. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be a difficult task, you know, and I guess people don't get it. Every week you're, you're fighting in this conference. You know, I just, I tried to explain to Matt Walker from River Falls last week. You know, everyone's like, okay, you're playing River Falls there. And over, I'm like, boy, this team is dangerous. <laughs> I mean, they could have really beat us. I mean, they have such great talent. And I said, every week in this conference, so, er, people are just fighting, fighting for, I mean, that was their playoff game coming in here playing us. And, you know, nothing's easy. So you get beat up. You just, you're trying to survive. You're trying to win games, maybe by a field goal, maybe. You know, whatever you just you're you're not you're not rolling with five blowouts anymore. And I mean, even Whitewater could say the same thing. They're not blowing anybody out in this league. Right. They might blow us out Saturday, but they they had a it was tough. This league this year was unbelievable. Well, I think that, you know, just anybody who's watched uh, Whitewater over the course of the past several weeks would probably say the same thing or or would wonder why exactly why Whitewater's not blowing teams out. I've uh, seen, you know, I've watched like the closing minutes of the Platteville game and the closing minutes of the lacrosse game and the, you know, the fourth quarter of the Stout game because they were all close. uh, And, and, you know, maybe on paper you expect Platteville and and lacrosse to be close with them, but you don't necessarily expect someone like Stout to be right there with them (laughs) in that fourth quarter. After the Stout win up there, I had a huge smile on my face and someone came up and said, I've never seen you smile like this. I said, you don't understand, buddy. We just stole a game because Stout Stout has a ton of talent on offense. And, uh, you know, they're all young. There's a lot of young players in this league that are extremely talented. And we have a couple ourselves, but it's just a crazy young, young, uh, excellent, talented league right now. A lot of young players. (laughs) <laughs> that are unbelievable. That has got to be scary as you know what for people who are facing uh, YAC teams or, or trying to get past YAC teams in the tournament going forward for the next couple of years. Let me ask you about one of your uh, one of your young, talented guys. I know we wrote about Kobe Berghammer a couple of weeks ago, uh, but yep. one of the things that I wanted to ask about because, you know, haven't seen a whole bunch of you guys on film yet, but, you know, on – on paper, at least, he presents as kind of what I remember Nate Wera being, especially as yeah. in his younger days. Now, I don't think I don't think Nate played much as a freshman. I saw him play as a sophomore, I think, on a Thursday night game at Stout or something like that, or maybe that was the year you guys hosted yeah, Mount that's, Union. That's when he had like breakout, you know, and then we started to roll right after that. But uh, yeah, how much it's the do- same? It's the same, same, same type of kid, same type of scenario, um, you know. 
both dads were coaches, you know, just freak athletes. But, uh, you know, Kobe might have a little bit of Brett Casper in him, too, when it's all said and done. Because uh, Kobe, Kobe can get the job done as far as uh, control passing game. Nate was a running gun, and, I mean, he was gunning. He wanted bombs. You know, he wanted big plays. But this kid, this kid could put the whole thing together when it's all said and done. We'll see. You know, you never know. I, I, uh, you're, I guess I'll say it like this. When you're a head coach, you don't really want to go with the freshman. You know what I'm saying? You want you want just yeah. a, someone that's going to manage a game and some consistency. And we had to go to him early because, well, the entire team wanted him to be our quarterback. So <laughs> that's <laughs> that's really the honest to God truth. They're like, we can win with this guy. Well, he, he throws a lot of picks, Patrick. And uh, when you're a defensive guy, you're saying to yourself, wow, that ain't good. But uh, he's got the it factor. It's going to be fun to watch him play against this team because uh, I know they're going to get after him pretty good. It's going to be uh, – I've seen a lot of good quarterbacks, young young good quarterbacks go against Whitewater and they come out of that game with PTSD because mm-hmm. they just come after you. But, uh, you know, he's ready for it. He's a tough kid. He's a great kid. Just very pleased of how good of a person he is and uh, just thankful that – you know, we kind of found another one. So let's go. What's the what's the learning curve like for a freshman in this league, especially a quarterback? Well, you know, I don't know what the learning curve is. I just they just got to get out there and do it. And uh, the learning curve is for the coaches. <laughs> we got. We got to figure it out. You know, we're so dumb that we can't figure stuff out faster than the kids get. So, (laughs) well, I ask because I don't know much about uh, Cumberland High School and I don't follow a ton of Wisconsin State High School uh, football. But, uh, you know, making the leap into a starting college quarterback position at any level as a, you know, a 19 year old or whatever has got to be pretty significant. But then to do it uh, in the best league and the deepest league in Division three football, that, that's kind of what I'm wondering is, you know, yeah. you're kind of jumping in uh, head first. Yeah, I try to I try to stay away. You know, I don't you'd think that Kobe and I would have conversations and all this. But Coach Vinay is his coach, Luke Vinay. I really don't get involved like Brett or Nate. I, I don't, you know, obviously I'm there for him. Uh, the one time all season that Kobe even talked to me was at Platteville and said, coach, we got this. And I've, trust me, <laughs> when he said that, I'm like, we were, we were winning at the time, but then we start, we, we, we uh, lost the lead. But uh, we just, I mean, I, I just leave him alone. You know, I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to coach the kid up. And, you know, that time will come. I think this offseason, now that we know he's the guy, you know, that's, that's when we start talking about all that stuff you're talking about. Right. I don't think right now we, we're, just, we're just trying to find out who the hell we are. Fair enough. If that makes any sense at all. I get it. Um, let me ask about uh, the the atmosphere and that sort of thing for Saturday. It is uh, 
a uh, 6.05 kickoff, and that is the uh, 7.05 Eastern is the last game to kick off in NCAA Division III this, uh, this season. It's got a ton riding on it. Uh, people who are rooting for chaos in the selection, uh, on the selection show are probably rooting <laughs> for you. Everybody else who, is, uh, you know, who thinks they're in line for an at-large bid is probably rooting against you on Saturday. That's all right. It don't really matter. I mean, we still got to play. Uh, the big part of this game is we just can't let what happened against lacrosse. They just can't jump us. Uh, defensively, we have to play extremely well, keep it close. You know, we, we kind of know we're not going to go in there and score 30. So if we can just, uh, unlike last year, we gave up a couple big plays. If we could just keep it close, and I'm thinking, and I know they're thinking the same thing. It's, this has got to go into the fourth quarter for us to have any chance whatsoever. Uh, so, I mean, that's the reality of it. I'm not a, I'm not a BSer. I'm not going to sit around here and give you the coach talk and all that. I mean, we, we know what's ahead of us and, uh, got a young, young group of guys. They've uh, shocked me twice here as far as, uh, you know, where our backs were against the wall. So why not? Why not just go out and it's a one-time shot. We don't have to beat them 10 times. We just gotta, we just gotta do it once. Defensively, what do you guys have? Uh, what, what do you guys have to match up with them with? And, and I guess which quarterback are you expecting them to use? Well, I'm expecting them to use both. You know, I mean, they're going to they have a ton of talent. Okay, <laughs> yeah, they have more talent than anyone in the country, at, and they're deep and they know it. So it, it's it's a it's a challenge. You know, every every snap is going to be a challenge. So I'm not going to tell you what we're doing defensively. <laughs> that's, that's totally fair <laughs> it's time for our games to watch and i'll be starting with the game that keith and i will be calling on saturday afternoon that's the cortica jug game between ithaca and Cortland. It wasn't that long ago that Cortland was running off this big win streak in this series. They had won seven consecutive Cortica Jugs, a lot of them in dramatic fashion. It's been Ithaca the last two years, and uh, just for the record, Ithaca owns the all-time series lead at 41-33 to with three ties, and they've won the Cortica Jug itself 36 times to Cortland's 24. So Cortland needs this win and, and a good amount of help to stay alive in the Division Three playoff race. You know, in that previous segment where we just uh, talked, we didn't mention Cortland. Cortland is buried behind Wesley in the east and buried pretty deep. But uh, there's always a possibility that some of these other one-loss teams win. Cortland's strength of schedule is going to rise, and they may have a chance to, uh, to do something in this game and uh, get their way into the playoffs. Cortland has uh, really thrived quite a bit on special teams play over the course of the season. Multiple blocked kicks. They've actually had, I think, multiple guys selected to the D3Football.com Team of the Week as kick-blocking people. We'll call them kick-blocking people. We'll say that that's a thing. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And they're going to counter, of course, uh, it will be uh, Ithaca putting out a freshman kicker, but a really good one, Nicholas Balamande. I'm going to assume that that's pr correctly pronounced. We'll know more by Saturday. We'll do that homework, too. Uh, he's had a, a pretty good season with some good, you know, medium to short, long length field goals. I'm, I'm going to make that up. That's like low 40s is, is what I'm what I'm thinking about uh, that's been, uh, but Cortland has used special teams play to really get by quite a bit over the course of the season. 
Everybody talks about Joe Germanario, of course. He's the uh, starting quarterback for Ithaca. Uh, Brett Sagala, the starting quarterback for Cortland. He's a guy who's completed uh, just a, a tad shy of 60% of his passes. He's thrown 21 touchdowns compared to six interceptions. A guy who has played in this Cortica drug game before, including coming off the bench uh, early in the season, I believe as a freshman, and uh, leading one of those wins, then uh, going back to the bench and then uh, coming back here as a starter later in his career. On the opposite side, obviously we talk about uh, Ithaca quite a bit. Uh, and on the offensive side, you know about German Ariel. He's the guy who was the 2017 East Region D3Football.com Offensive Player of the Year. His receiving core, Will Gladney, a name we'll be calling a lot on Saturday. Andrew Vito is a name you've probably heard before and will hear again. But it's really... What Ithaca needs to do is they need to be able to control the clock. They have struggled to do that in each of the last two weeks, those two weeks being losses, one of them to Union back in week nine and then to RPI 38-12 to this past Saturday. So, you know, now Ithaca is in a position where what it's playing for is pride, but you still have uh, pride. You have the Cortica Jug. You have 42,000-plus fans in MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, and it should be a fantastic game. I hope it's a fantastic game because I'm flying in on Saturday morning for it, and Keith is taking a train up, so it better be good is all I'm saying. Well, I'll be taking a look at number 10, John Carroll, at Baldwin Wallace. When we last checked in with the Blue Streaks, they were scoring in the fourth quarter and surviving a defensive battle with Heidelberg. When we last checked in with the Yellow Jackets, they were blowing it against a 500 team, surrendering 28 first-half points in a 35-28 loss to Ohio Northern. Instead of complaining on Twitter this week about not being ranked as highly as John Carroll, Baldwin Wallace is looking to spoil its conference rivals' playoff hopes. BW is playing a freshman quarterback, Keegan Armitage, and until last week had been pretty stout defensively. For John Carroll, junior quarterback Jake Floria threw four interceptions last week and didn't put up huge numbers a couple weeks prior against Marietta either, but the Blue Sticks would prefer to ride back Michael Canganelli anyway and then play good defense. Floria, who was on the rosters at both Toledo and Penn, had a six-touchdown passing game against Ohio Northern, so it remains to be seen which version of him shows up and which offensive line shows up against Baldwin Wallace. The teams, which are 7-2 and 8-1, and are just a 30-minute drive from one another on opposite sides of the Cleveland metro area. And while it would have been fun to play this one with a nearly guaranteed playoff spot on the, nine, on the line, that no longer being the case won't ruin the atmosphere or the desire to win on either side. Pronunciation 101. Budavistic. Monon Belt. Budavistic. Muhlenberg. Gallardi. German Ariel. Ganganelli. Yeah, that's how you pronounce Ganganelli. And now for a couple of conference rivals who have even more on the line, let's take it out to Wisconsin and Adam Turr. When the Titans dropped their second game of the season before the calendar turned to November, it was easy for outsiders to write off Wisconsin Oshkosh. After three straight years of deep playoff runs, including a Stag Bowl appearance in 2016, it looked like maybe last year's 6-4 and four backslide was less of an aberration and more like the Titans' new place in the middle of the uber-competitive WIAC. Hey, where are you going to school next year? Wisconsin. Wisconsin? Big school. But the Week 2 five-point loss at Salisbury looks better each week, as the Seagulls remain undefeated. The 31-3 drubbing at the hands of Wisconsin lacrosse still looks bad, but not devastating. The Titans still have all their goals ahead of them. A win in Week 11 over Wisconsin Whitewater will earn Oshkosh its third conference title in the past five seasons. Freshman quarterback Kobe Berghammer still reads defenses like a freshman, struggling with four interceptions in his past two games. But the Titans have unleashed Berghammer's potential, and he has made up for those mistakes by rushing for 291 yards in those two crucial conference victories. 
He has topped the century mark on the ground in three of the Titans' last four contests. If any defense can smother the dual-threat quarterback, it is the Warhawks. Third-ranked Whitewater has been getting it done with defense, allowing just 14.1 points per game during a 9-0 start. When the ball is in the air, Mark McGrath just wants to fly, picking off a team-high four passes. He'd have more opportunities if his defensive linemen weren't so dominant. Three different Warhawks have at least seven and a half sacks this season, and the team has a total of 31. Whitewater's offense is deep and will ride the hot hand, whether that's feeding wide receiver Ryan Wisniewski double-digit receptions, handing off to Alex Pete or Jared Ware, or letting their own dual-threat quarterback Zach Olds pick apart a defense. A fully healthy Warhawks offense is a force to be reckoned with, but we haven't seen them at full strength much this season. Fans of chaos will be rooting for the host Titans, who haven't lost a regular season game at Titan Stadium since September of 2014. Oshkosh's 26-game home winning streak is on the line, as is the 2019 WIAC title. Fans of teams on the Pool C bubble will be rooting hard for the Warhawks, as a whitewater loss will burst the bubble of an at-large hopeful. So much is at stake, and all eyes will be on the last Division Three game of the regular season, which kicks off at 7.05 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thanks, Adam. And now, over to Greg Thomas. For the second year in a row, Bethel and St. Thomas meet in Week 11 with serious playoff implications on the line, at least for one team. 7-2 St. Thomas find themselves on the wrong side of the postseason bubble, but the Tommies can earn a share of the Mayak Championship with a win on Saturday. St. Thomas is as statistically dominant as ever. The Tommies have the number two offense and the number 12 defense in Division Three through Week 10. The potent offense is led by the three-headed trio of quarterback Tommy Dolan, wide receiver Gabe Green, and All-American running back Josh Parks. This unit has been lighting up opponents to the tune of 544 yards and 51 points per game this season. Not only is Josh Parks in the top 10 nationally with a 135 rushing yard per game average, he is second in the nation with 21 touchdowns scored on the year. Bethel can also earn a share of the Mayak Championship on Saturday, but the Royals are in a must-win scenario if they hope to make the NCAA tournament. Bethel's national rankings are right up there with St. Thomas, as the Royals have the number 14 offense and number 20 defense in the division. Sophomore quarterback Jaron Rosti is the standout player for the Royals. Rosti is in the top 20 most efficient passers in the country, and is one-third of a balanced stable of Royals rushers. Rosti, along with Sid Boros and Sam Gibbis, all average over 50 yards per game, and over 170 rushing yards per game combined. St. Thomas's defense, led by leading sack collectors Luke Swenson and Alex Taylor, have the difficult task of keeping Rosti and his Bethel rushing attack under control. Fans of teams in the Pool C conversation will have keen interest in this game, as Bethel will be a strong Pool C candidate should they finish their regular season at 9-1. Fans at North Central, Susquehanna, Wartburg, and John Carroll will really want to be scoreboard watching to see if St. Thomas can provide their teams a little bit of relief as they await Sunday's bracket reveal. And we'll finish it up with Frank Rossi. From In the Huddle and D3Football.com, I'm Frank Rossi. It's rivalry week in the East, and the Secretary's Cup game between Merchant Marine Academy and Coast Guard fits the bill perfectly. This game annually has pomp and circumstance, big crowd sizes, and intense play that ignores the records of both teams. Recently, the addition of ESPN3 broadcasting the game has helped the exposure, but this year's game has something especially unique. Coast Guard head coach Bill George announced his retirement Tuesday morning after 21 seasons as the Bears head coach, effective after this Saturday's game. The news came as a surprise to many, including Mariners head coach Mike Toop, who broke the news to me via text Tuesday morning. Toop and George have constantly professed mutual admiration for each other, knowing that their teams have special challenges related to admissions that often prevent the coaches from getting the biggest, strongest players their teams. 
yet they both have shown how to overcome that setback with both teams sporting winning records this season. Mercer Marine comes into the game at 5-3 with a close loss to FDU Florham, a 21-point loss to Springfield, and a 53-point loss to WPI. Coast Guard, though, is 5-4, but the Bears had three losses by combined 15 points before losing to WPI by 47 last week. This year's teams appear closely matched, with the Mariners averaging 39.3 points per game and gaining an average of 483 yards per game, and the Bears' defense only allowing 17.3 points and 276 yards per game. Mariners quarterback Christian Abbott has been responsible for 13 touchdowns against six turnovers, while Ryan Jones of Coast Guard has scored 12 times while losing the ball 11 times, all on interceptions. So ball control will be key for these teams, but as if the X's and O's aren't enough reason to watch this game, Coach George's impending retirement adds a special emotional X factor to this year's edition of the rivalry. George's teams have amassed only a 5-15 record against Merchant Marine in 20 years, but they won the Secretary's Cup last year in Kings Point. Playing at home with that emotion could make it the first time since 1995 through 1997 that Coast Guard wins the hardware consecutive times. Back to two guys who are the Groton to my new London, Pat and Keith. It's time for On the Spot, the game show portion of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. And uh, it's where uh, each one of us puts the other on the spot to generally predict the outcomes of games, but uh, games with a theme involved. And Keith, I have one of these uh, for you here on this podcast. I'm going to ask you to pick three games, each of which, to pick winners in three games, each of which involve two teams that the NCA committee has not mentioned in their discussions this year. Wow. Well, it's almost pretty du- duplicative of your on the spot. <laughs> oh, no. I was telling you that in advance, so I'm going to take three games off the board. Hopefully, I don't take games off the board that you can use uh, for yours. However, um, it also means I'm familiar with uh, with a couple of games, so this should be uh, easy or easy-ish for me. The, uh, the first one I'd love to point out is uh, Misericordia at Alvernia because these were programs that started uh, started football up around the same time and have really gone in divergent directions in the past couple of seasons. Now, Misericordia had that remarkable um, jump from 2017 being a one and nine team and they've been um, they started in 2012 were one win team from 13 to 17 jumped to eight wins in 2018 and now they're in this phase where they're just sort of a normal team they are four and four and they'll finish the season at Alvernia uh, both of these are Pennsylvania schools by the way um, at Alvernia which is two and seven uh, Alvernia started the season with a win at Gallaudet and then uh, beat a legitimate D3 team um, not to say that Gallaudet's not a legitimate team, but uh, they beat Lycoming in the middle of October and then have taken it on the chin uh, pretty good uh, a couple of times recently, 44-0 against DelVal. Pat, in the Monday podcast, you mentioned FDU Florham hanging 84 on them. Mm-hmm. So uh, for Alvernia, the, the Golden Wolves, for them to try to finish this season uh, with another win, um, would be nice. And I guess they didn't really start football around the same time. Alvernia is only uh, a couple years old and Misericordia again, started in 2012. But for, for me, um, I think of these teams in a similar fashion because they both started football in Pennsylvania in the 2010s and they are both schools that end in IA. There you go. That's one way to put it. They start in PA and end in IA. 
Oh, very good, very good. So I need to to talk about some other teams who have not been mentioned at all by the regional ranking. Right. And, you know, obviously we don't exactly know who, but you have to, you know, use some judgment as to who are the teams that are not going to, that haven't beaten anybody that would, uh, you know, be in the rankings or, you know, aren't serving as some interesting common opponent or anything like that. Gotcha. 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 Pat, I did find a, a rivalry that's on the, maybe the third tier here that uh, that I could discuss, and that is the Cranberry Bowl between Bridgewater State and Mass Maritime. Those are two, obviously, Massachusetts schools in uh, right around the, the Cape Cod area. Uh, the game is at Mass Maritime this year, and uh, actually a couple of pretty good teams playing in this one. Mass Maritime, 6-3, and three, Bridgewater State is uh five and four so uh you're gonna get a a decent version of this game between these two mascac teams on saturday so that is a a decent one and i think it qualifies even though it involves two winning teams it uh it's two teams that certainly didn't sniff the regional rankings anytime recently that is true and i've always been confused as to which one is the cranberry bowl so thanks for uh clarifying that one Pat, you, you've created a on the spot where everyone I want to talk about, like I'd, I would love to have mentioned uh, Occidental making it through a, a, a full season if they finish the Redlands game on Saturday. But Redlands is obviously someone that's been talked about. I uh, would love to talk about Concordia Moorhead, which has had maybe the most interesting schedule and the most interesting season in uh, in D3. But clearly someone who would have been talked about by the committee by virtue of their upset win over St. John. So to go further off the beaten path, uh, I'd like to mention Louisiana College, which is finishing its season at home against East Texas Baptist. And um, I think what's interesting about, about the Wildcats course is one, one time a challenger to Mary Harden Baylor, really for several years in uh, maybe earlier around, you know, around 2010 thereabouts, uh, in the American Southwest Conference, a team that lost back-to-back games this season, 53-51-6, and lost a couple of weeks ago at Mary Harden-Baylor, 82-0. They bounced back from the 82-0 loss to score 49 at McMurray last week, and uh, when that one 49-36, they finished with East Texas Baptist. So even though this is a team that has given up more than 50 points in a loss, one, two, three, four, five, five times, um, they actually have a chance to finish four and five if uh, if they can beat or if it can beat East East Texas Baptist on Saturday. ETBU uh, five and four start of the season with the the game at Platteville, and uh, also took it on the chin pretty hard for Mary Harden Baylor fifty to fourteen, but have won uh, three out of four since then. Lost last week forty five zero at Harden Simmons. So there's clearly a pretty big divide between the top of the ASC. Uh, and maybe even the middle and the bottom, but for uh, for both ETBU, which is a friend of the pod now by virtue of its support of uh, of Gotta Have It fan foams, and then uh, and then at Louisiana College, which I think has just had some some bizarre scores this season. I thought that was one worth mentioning in on the spot. So hope we hopefully we got that done in less than thirty three minutes, and uh, you're still driving or working out or or whatever it is that you do while you listen to the pod. <laughs> Good job. I'm going to put you on the spot, Pat. I hope you don't mind. 
that is how the way the game works and it's of course the purpose of this is to uh, you know delve into some parts of D3 which we don't get to in the pod otherwise and also to entertain you listeners a little bit uh, hopefully it's uh, it's funny or at least we can make uh, we can make we can all laugh at Pat together here. Here we go. Uh, it, in honor of our kickoff category, uh, they're they're playing for pride. And if you're a kickoff subscriber, you know that the conference preview, um, the overview will always have will project a game where the the title is on the line, and then it just projects another game where the two teams you know clearly won't be playing for the championship, but will be playing for pride. So, in honor of that, Pat, I would like for you to give me three games involving teams with losing records. Okay. That are going to finish the season strong. Now I need you to pick the winners, and I'll allow one of the six teams involved to this to be right at 500. In case you really like a game that you want to talk about, and uh, and you need to squeeze a four and four team into this, um, you know I'll look the other way on that. And in the honor of the random game, give me the first rivalry trophy name that pops into your head for each one of the games you pick. So if for instance, you'd taken, well, well, don't give me an example. Oh, okay. All right. The Misericordia (laughs) Alvernia game. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been the, the, uh, you know, the, whatever, what do you call it? The IAs and PAs starts in PA ends in IA. Yeah. uh, Or whatever. The the Pandemonia cup or something. I don't know. There you go. The golden wolf. Yeah. never mind. (laughs) All right. Well, good. Um, I have my first one in mind already. It's one of these rivalries that used to be huge used to be big in terms of, you know, either team had an opportunity to go to the playoffs one year. Both of these teams, as I recall, went to the playoffs uh, before we were uh, doing this stuff, but it was there. And it is the uh, the rivalry between TCNJ and Rowan. These two teams, you know, unlikely that you would be able to say they are both comfortably under 500. Rowan is three and six. TCNJ is two and seven. And like everything in South Jersey, the only thing that I would ever consider uh, calling the uh, championship or the uh, the rivalry trophy for this would be the Wawa Cup. Oh, near and dear to my heart. And uh, yeah, that, that that definitely that that works. I think for that part of the country, and Rowan is probably also a candidate for the most interesting schedule this season, alongside Concordia, Moorhead, and maybe a couple of other schools because they uh, they got that visit early in the season from Linfield. And then played, um, you know, the obviously Wesley and Salisbury, and uh, in in Widener in their in their in uh, their non conference games Hobart. They had a really interesting uh, schedule as well. All right, so for a second one, I'm going to go to Ohio. Ohio, 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 and I'm going to take uh, Bluffton at Defiance. Uh, Defiance on the season is 0-9, 0-6 in the HCAC, and uh, Bluffton 2-7, 2-4 in the conference. We actually discovered uh, earlier in the course of this night while looking through some possibilities for uh, a previous category that uh, these teams already play for a rivalry trophy, and it is called the Hammer. But I am going to throw that one out. You know, tradition, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. I understand you have a you have a rivalry trophy, but I'm going to say that uh, these two teams are going to play for the 700 Cup, and that is because uh, both of them are so small that neither of them even has 700 full-time undergrads. Defiance, at last count, uh, had 507 full-time undergraduates and Bluffton 656. So these two teams are going to play for the 700 Cup. I definitely thought that was a Pat Robertson reference. 
I mean, it certainly could have been. Uh, if Liberty was playing in Division Three football, we probably would have gone that direction, right? And uh, I think for the third one in this, I'm going to go to the Midwest Conference where I can guarantee that because of the way they work their final weekend, right, the two champions of each division play each other with the automatic bid on the line, but everybody else plays as well. Two against two, three against three, four against four, and, uh, well, okay, anyway, so uh, Lawrence doesn't get to play anybody because Grinnell isn't playing football at this point, but... uh, we will uh, go to Beloit against Knox. Beloit, 1-8, 1-4 in the conference. They finished fourth in that North Division by uh, virtue of beating Lawrence. And then Knox, 2-6, and 0-4. Oh they finished fourth in that division by virtue of not getting to play Grinnell and getting a W out of that. As far as a rivalry trophy goes, we got, uh, we got your Buccaneers, we got your Prairie Fire, uh, they're not like on the same highway or anything. Um, Blight, Knox, Balox, Baloxy, Balox. Okay, we're going to call it the Balox Bowl. And I kind of like that. It could be the, the Balox game sponsored by Lego, or you can have a trophy with locks on it, right? Like a bagel and locks. No? Oh, the bagel, the bagel and locks bowl. That's what goes in your Balox Bowl is bagels and locks. We should get that before oh, we go to the game on Saturday. It's not, it's not the worst idea. Haven't since we'll be near New York, if not uh, in New York. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And while you were uh, while you were skimming for uh, games, I started thinking of more uh, rivalry games that would work. Uh, <laughs> Capital plays Muskingum in the Capital M game. Oh, there we uh, go. Manchester and Anderson play in the Manderson game. Luther Simpson. That just sounds like your uh, you know your next door neighbor. The old guy who never checks his mail. Martin Luther and Crown. There's got to be something you could do with King there, right? Martin Luther King and King's Crown, the King's Crown Bowl. Okay, let's uh, let's uh, move it along. We can't get out of here without a spot check. Last week and on the spot, I was asked to pick three teams to win, ranging from the southwest to the northeast. I hit on Redlands beating Whittier at one end and Colby beating Bowden at the other end, but my pick for the middle of the country washed out as Milliken defeated Washington University. Keith was asked to pick three winners and do it in the style of Chris Berman without reflecting on whether Keith did go all the way. Yeah, yeah. He picked Trinity, Texas, Hope, and Williams correctly, and it was eftastic. Keith, we have seemingly done nothing but random games for like the last six or seven minutes, and we've uh, named a bunch of rivalry trophies. So let's just move on ahead to the one-liners, and we'll start with St. Norbert at Monmouth. The only conference championship game in D3 is in the Midwest Conference, and it features the usual suspects playing for an opportunity to play the following week in the NCAA playoffs while the loser turns in the equipment. How about Central at Co.? In Iowa, the Dutch can't rest on their laurels after the epic 57-56 win against Warburg. A loss to the Cohacks, the Cohacks, the Cohawks could ha- could hand the uh, ARC title and the accompanying bid to Warburg, depending on the night's result against Loris. It was that unintentionally alliterative there, right? Cohawks could hand uh, Union at RPI. In New York, the Dutchman's Shoes game pits a team that's already punched its playoff ticket against one that is red hot and coming off a 38-12 thumping of Ithaca. MIT at Springfield. The new Mac is still up for grabs, and if the engineers beat the pride, 
they earn the NCAA bid if they lose to Springfield. Another set of engineers, WPI, could win the title by beating Norwich. And if both Springfield and Norwich win, the Pride would win the conference title and go to the playoffs. Yeah, it's a three-way tie today, but it won't be by the end of Saturday. And then Wabash at DePaul. Yeah, we thought the Mona Bell game might play a role in breaking up a five-way NCAC tie, but the Little Giants wrapped up the conference title a week early. That won't stop the Tigers from attempting to bring the bell back to Greencastle for the first time since 2016. Keith, I try not to mock the efforts of students to hype up their game, but I couldn't help but notice uh, it was uh, posted all over the social media earlier this week that uh, DePauw students put together a game, uh, a, sh- a T-shirt about the game and defending the bell and that sort of thing. Get? Do you did you see this? Did you or can you guess which bell they used? Here's a hint: it wasn't the Monon Bell. Yeah, I mean that part I sort of um, ascertained. Are they actually defending the bell this year? <laughs> well, that's yeah, they're not defending the bell either. Uh, yeah, they have a, a a picture of the Liberty Bell on their shirt. Mmm, dang. There's uh, there's another bell game not too far from that in uh, in Indiana, the Victory Bell, and uh, a handful of other bell games. But yeah, I guess the Liberty Bell's most famous bell. Probably the easiest one to download a picture of online. But, man, if you can't get your own proper rivalry bell when you're making your T-shirt, you know, maybe slow down a little bit and, uh, and find a good picture of it. The points don't matter. That's right. The points don't matter. It's called being a professional. Points don't matter. You play to win the game. And then I give them points. I don't know why. It's just a gag to tie the show together. If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. We also score quick hits. That's our weekly Friday look at the upcoming set of games. The six of us give answers to six questions and give you a whole, you know, case and a half of opinions. For the game of the week, we had four different picks going on, but one obvious winner. I'm going to give myself a point for picking Warburg at Central. Greg called it the game of the year on Twitter, so I'm sure we can at least call it the game of the week. Ryan Tips got in on the ARC action by picking the Wartburg, picking Wartburg as the top 25 team most likely to be upset, and he was the only one who got one correct. And then for teams that would make a strong Pool C statement, Adam, Frank, and I all picked Ithaca. Well, for teams picked to stumble before their big rivalry game, I have to point out Adam took Hampton Sydney, and it did lose to Ferrum. Also losing my pick, Ithaca. And Ryan and Frank each picked Framingham State as unranked teams to can the clinch playoff spots well pat and greg each picked hanover so nice job by you guys and to see this week's quick hits on the website check it out by noon on friday and this week's slate of games is pretty nuts so these picks should be pretty good back to pass looking in the near corner for nap and it's intercepted zahar at the goal line returning it to the 30 and before we head out the door of course it's pick six i give keith six games he picks a winner and we start with stout at eau claire Ooh, uh, Eau Claire. Yeah, the I-94 trophy. Uh, Wash U at Carroll. Wash U. Sends Larry Kinbaum off a winner. Huntington at LaGrange. Huntington. Husson at Western New England. Western New England. Uh, Franklin at Hanover. Hanover. Oh, that could be one of the one of the upset games. Could be. Uh, Augsburg at Hamlin. Augsburg? And uh, can you name the trophy that's on the line between Augsburg and Hamlin? 
Oh, uh, no, the Peter Piper. No, I don't know that one off the top. Uh, they're also one of the uh, sets of schools that play for a hammer. Ah, I think I like mine better, the, the, Aug, the Augie Piper. <laughs> I, I'm picturing Augie Piper as some guy in a pro wrestling uniform, right? Oh, that's not bad. I uh, bored the heck out of my son for 30 seconds earlier. Um, when the St. John's St. Thomas game was on in the house, I had it up on the big screen TV and uh, he was like, who, you know, who the heck are the Tommies and the Johnnies? And I was like, actually, everybody in this conference just didn't pick a mascot. They just named themselves after their school. So it's like the Gustavus Adolphus Gusties and the Augsburg Augies. And then I was like, but Hamlin, they're just the Pipers. Indeed. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 259, released on November 15th, 2019. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on all the coverage through this weekend, including that selection show, which you can find on the front page of D3Football.com at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. We'll make sure that you do not miss the show from NCA.com. If you like this podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, anywhere that podcasts come into your ears. That's going to help other football fans find it. And you can leave comments for an individual episode for us on the blog page. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music and a lot of the other music clips in this show is by DJ Mentos, and you can find his work at DJMentos.com. Thanks to our correspondents, Adam Turr, Greg Thomas, and Frank Rossi, plus guests Pat Cerrone and Sports Information Director Ken and Tim for their time and assistance on this edition of our show. And of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. When we go on the field, we, we, you know, we take everybody serious, we respect the game of football, and we just play. And uh, I'm just very proud of everybody here, our coaches, our players, past and present and just how we approach things we have a good time doing this there'll be a time to uh to look at all this stuff and to reflect but now's not the time